0: So not too long ago, we we're talking about this series at my house, I'm talking with some of my kids, it's a lot of fun to be able to do that, say, hey, uh, I think it was over lunch one day, we talked about how are you encountering Jesus, that type of thing. Another conversation I'm having with some of the kids, and um, I was like, man, I, I remember the first time I met you, kind of, you know, you're there at the hospital, your kid's born, maybe you've been there before, you're like, oh, wow. And one of my kids looked at me and says, I remember the first time I met you, um, I said, really? Tell me about that. And he said, um, well, I guess you can know it's one of the two now because I said he. He said, oh, I was just a babe. And I said, tell me more. He said, that's all I remember. Um, and the way we encounter people, right, is interesting. The way we meet people, the way we kind of engage with people when we first meet with them, and that's just a silly story, but Here's the thing. Here's what I've learned. We're in this series named Encounter. We're talking about different people who encounter Jesus, and once they encounter Jesus, how do they handle that? How do they respond? Do they allow for transformation in their life? Um, One of the things I've learned about when we first encounter people is often one of the reasons we can struggle with meeting people for the first time is we're typically looking at them with one of two views. What can they do for me? Or what do I need to do for them? Rather than how can I show them Jesus? Right? Even our job may force us to kind of, when we encounter someone, we may go, hey, wait a second here. Um Um, I'm here to meet their needs, and so all of a sudden things change in terms of that first interaction that we may have with someone. Maybe you meet someone and you think they can give you a job, and so you treat them very different than the person that you met at the grocery store and how you interact with them because you don't think they have anything to offer you. The way we encounter people, it does matter. The expectation we have in that encounter, in that interaction, it matters. And today we're going to be able to look at an encounter uh, of Pontius Pilate when he encountered Jesus and what that looked like for his life. What did that encounter involve? What were some of the details of that encounter? And then also, what was his response to that encounter? And even, was transformation allowed? Was it absorbed? What took place in that encounter? Now, you need to know it was um, A.D. 26 when Caesar appointed Pontius Pilate to be governor or prefect. So this is A.D. 26. All of a sudden, um, here comes Pontius Pilate. He's coming in as governor or prefect. And here's an individual who really, you're going to discover very quickly, was about making himself known. Uh, He had already had previously some tension there with Rome. But here he comes as a Roman prefect, and that means that he had both military but also um, judicial responsibility for that area. He he needed to make sure that things stayed calm, that things were going in the right direction. Uh, Even in the collecting of taxes, he had that responsibility to make sure that all those things were being done well. Why? Because Rome wanted their money. And so, you know, money speaks is what they say. And so as long as all that is going well in terms of the collection of the taxes, all of the different things related to the military, judicial responsibilities, that means Rome would be happy as well. Now, we do also know that Pilate would have been in Jerusalem because it was Passover. It was a festival. And he would only be staying there in Jerusalem during this time of the period. That was kind of like his summer home. Maybe that's one way you want to think about it. He would have gone for the big activities, for the big festivities and the festivals that would have been happening throughout the year. And so he's there. Um, I want to show you a picture of what would have been his, in terms of Michigan, this was his cottage. Um, And I don't any of you have a cottage that looks like that. Massive. Think Herod the Great. He's the one who constructed all of this. And so now he's staying there. um, And he is there for Passover, for this festival that's taken place. It's, it's important for us to recognize why he's really there once again. It's important to recognize he's there to make sure things are going in the direction that Rome wants to see them move in. And yet then what's taking place is all of a sudden he gets pulled in into the middle of this conundrum, this, this major religious um, obstacle And some hostility that's been taking place. Matthew chapter 27. Can I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 27? Uh, You need to know, I'm going to be jumping around to the other gospels as well. You have four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm going to be diving into all of those. But I'm going to ask that you go to Matthew chapter 27 and just stay there in your Bible. Um, First uh, book of the New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament. We know there's a 400-year period between the two. And then you have the gospels coming of Jesus Christ. And uh, it really starts with the telling of his birth and everything else and the genealogy that took place. Matthew chapter 27. I want to read just the first couple of verses for you to help set the scene of what's taking place with Pilate. Matthew chapter 27, verse 1 and 2, and it says, When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. All right, let me paint the scene, all right? It's Friday morning. It's the first day of Passover. Passover would have begun the night before at sunset. That night before, Jesus was having dinner with his disciples. We know about that, having that last supper. They then go to the Mount of Olives or Gethsemane. They go there to pray and to be with one another. And then that's when one of his disciples betrays him. That disciple is who? Judas. Judas. So Judas betrays Jesus, hands him over, and you know that the religious leaders, they've been waiting for this. They paid Judas to do it, and now they're plotting and they're preparing to get rid of Jesus. And so early the next morning, you've got people like Caiaphas who are involved, and they take him before Pilate early in the morning to make sure that they can press charges against him and to get rid of Jesus. So there's a little bit of the context here and what's unfolding and what's happening before us. And they're doing this all in the middle of the night, early in the morning, because they want Jesus gone. They, they want him out of the picture. Now, it's also interesting to recognize they do it early in the morning. Why are they doing it so early in the morning? It's the first day of Passover. You remember Passover, you've got a place, a city that would have been four times the normal population at least. So you've got people all over the place. Why not wait till later in the day? It's also first day of Passover, meaning that the night before it's sunset when it would all begin, um, you've got wine involved. You don't have anybody Let's just put it like this. Nobody's waking up bright and early going, woo, let's go. They're taking their time. That would have been the general population. Also, the majority of the population would have been peasants, would have been people who uh, probably 85 90%. These are people who would have loved Jesus. They saw him moving amongst the people, and they saw him performing miracles and miraculous things all the time. And yet these people are probably, most of them, still asleep because the religious leaders are the ones who are at play right now. And so they bring Jesus before Pilate early in the morning. It tells us in verse 11 through 14, Matthew chapter 27, you jump down a little bit. I read the first couple of verses. Now, if you jump down, it says, so Jesus stood before the governor. This is Pilate, right? And so here's the governor and he, the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, you've said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. And so then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. So here's Pilate. He goes out early in the day into a courtyard to meet them with Jesus. He, ha- he asks the question What charges do you bring against this man? What accusation do you bring against him? Now, one of the things they wanted to speak about was blasphemy. They wanted to be able to come up with something that would really kind of get them stirred up. They even had this large, ambiguous charge against him. John chapter 18 says, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. You see, they wanted him dead, but Rome had already taken away the responsibility and... Um, even the opportunity for the death penalty anymore. They, they couldn't go and just kill the guy. They could have done that prior if they would have thought blasphemy against, the, uh, against their God. They could have taken care of him and been done with him. But Rome said, you can't do that anymore. And so now they're having to bring him before Pilate to say, help, help us out here because this guy, he's not only an irritant, but we hate him. <laughs> we want him done. And so then all these different events begin to unfold. But Pilate knew from the very beginning, Pilate knew that they didn't have any legitimate, truly legitimate charge against Jesus. And so they, even though Pilate is going, hey, what are you really doing here? Let's come on. What are these true accusations? They're struggling. And so Pilate says to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, well, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death, right? Rome had changed those rules. And all this is being said to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken, to show by what kind of death he was going to die. And so then you jump down and you find in Luke chapter 23, and this is all very important. You need to know the dynamics that are in, at play here. You jumped over to Luke 23, and it tells us, that they began to accuse him, saying, We found that this man, referring to Jesus, is one misleading our nation. What they're doing is they're trying to manipulate words here, they're manipulating words to try to get what they want. Maybe you've done that before, and so here they are manipulating words. This man is misleading our nation and he's forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar. Now, we know that's not true. He said, Give to Caesar what is his and give to the Lord what is the Lord's. He's already said this, and yet here they are trying to manipulate all of these words to trap Jesus and to get rid of him. So he's misleading our nation. He's forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, the king. And even after all of this, What we find in Luke chapter 23, verse 4 through 6, it says, hey, here's Pilate. He's looking at the chief priests. He's looking at the crowd. And by the way, the crowd that would have been gathering, pretty much all of them is the crowd that the religious leaders would have gathered together. Nobody's awake yet. This would have been a crowd of people that they would have handpicked and chosen. Hey, this is what we want you to come and do. And Pilate looks at all of them and says, hey, listen, I, I find no guilt in this man. But then it says they were urgent, they were desperate, and they cried out. They said to him, he stirs up the people. And yet they're the one trying to stir everything up, right? He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee, even to this place. And then all of a sudden, what Pilate heard was he goes, wait a second, all the way up to Galilee. So he hears Galilee and he goes, oh, this is perfect. And so he asked, hey, is this guy from Galilee? They said, yes, he's a Galilean as well. That's where he's from. That's a regional thing. And so he says, oh, perfect, because Herod was responsible for Galilee. And so he says, send him to Herod then. He's a Galilee. He's trying to say, I just don't want to have to deal with this. You guys are a headache and really annoying me right now. And so he says, do this. He learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, and so he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. He would have been there for the same reason, because it was the time of the festival with Passover, and so they're both there, probably, saying they're staying in the same temple, and he's like, send him to Herod. He's in his jurisdiction. He's from Galilee. Here, there's a map to help you understand what's really unfolding here. You can see the difference between the two. Galilee is way up there. Um, Herod is ruling that area. You see Jerusalem, and it's in Judea. And so this was broken up according to regions and so that you knew who was responsible for what. And so then what you find is Pilate is saying, hey, if he's from Galilee, I can can get rid of this bother. So he sends him to Herod. He says, do this, please. Now all of this starts to play into how Pilate began to respond to who Jesus was. It tells us in Matthew 27, 15 and following, it says, Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one person whom they wanted. What they would do is they would try to appease the crowd and make them happy, and they would release someone. And so here you find Pilate. He he brings out somebody who is a known person who was a murderer. He would have been that, that guy, that criminal that everybody knew about because he was so bad. He didn't pull out. A, let me put it like that he didn't pull out a no-namer that nobody's heard of before. He pulled out somebody that everybody would have already known and recognized. Man, this guy is horrible. So hey, this is how I'm going to work around it. Um, this is what's going to take place. Herod ends up not wanting to do anything with him. Sends him back to Pilate. And so what he's going to do is he's going to then say, hey, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put him up against this horrible criminal. We know that they're going to not call out Jesus, get rid of him because of who Barabbas is. So it says, they called out this notorious prisoner called Barabbas, and when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, who do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? And right there, I think, I truly believe, Pilate's thinking he's about to hear Barabbas. Get rid of him. Jesus, free him. Why? Because he also recognized that it tells us that he knew that they were bringing Jesus in front of him really is about jealousy, it was about envy. Scripture tells us that. In Matthew chapter tw- 27, it tells us that he recognized that very thing. It says he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up, meaning Jesus up. And so he's going, hey, if you, if you compare him with Barabbas, you know that they're going to choose Barabbas to get rid of him. Also, he's, wanting, he's seeing this as a way out because at the same time, his wife sends word to him says, have nothing to do with that righteous man. Oh, the power of a wife. It says, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. And so here you have the chief priest. This is verse 20 of Matthew chapter 27. You have the chief priests. You have the elders. They're being persuaded by the, uh, right. what they're doing. They're persuading the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to destroy Jesus. They're being manipulated. They're being easily swayed. Who's who's manipulating? Is anybody manipulating you in terms of what you should really believe about God? Are, Are there people in your life that you've given authority to? And here's the question. Are they pushing you toward Jesus or are they persuading you to step further away from Jesus and to take a step back? Here's the crowd. They're being persuaded and manipulated by the leaders to say, hey, this is what you have to do. We want you to step away from this guy. It, I think it blew Pilate away. I think it at least pushed him back a little bit because in verse 21, the governor, it says, the governor, Pilate, again said to them after they're saying, destroy Jesus, release Barabbas, he has to ask again. Uh, why? Because I think it caught him off guard. It says, again. He said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? Now remember, the people are being persuaded by the religious leaders. The crowd has already been manipulated. And they all said, let him be crucified. Pilate continues on, verse 23, I believe he says, why? What evil has he done? Why? He asked twice, who do you want me to release? And then he says, what do you want me to do with this guy? And they say, crucify him. And he says, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more because they are being persuaded by the people around them. They, they called out even more, crucify him. Let him be crucified. Who are you being persuaded by, and are they pushing you toward or away from Jesus? And the thing that gets me with Pilate is he had the authority to speak out. To do more than even ask questions. He had the position. The authority was given to him. He's now encountered Jesus Christ, and instead of taking the step forward that he needed to, he, he whipped out. And I think the reason why is because I think Pilate was more concerned with his position than he was his responsibility. And a lot of times when we encounter someone else, we just want to make sure that we're protecting or growing our own position rather than really stepping in and evaluating the responsibility that we may have. Let me ask you a question. How are you, here's Pilate, and he encounters Jesus, and he does little with it. How are you handling the responsibility of claiming that you know the Son of God? How are you handling the responsibility of knowing that you've encountered Jesus? Right now, you can say, well, you don't understand, Pastor. I'm not even a believer. I'm here because somebody made me come. I lost a bet. Well, I'm here to tell you right now there's a responsibility. I'm telling you, even if you've never been here before and you don't believe in Jesus, I'm telling you right now, there is a God, and he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for you so that anyone who professes faith in him would have eternal life. You can't earn your way into heaven. It's only through faith in who he is. But once you say yes to him, what you're saying is, okay, I know that his ways and thoughts are greater than my own, and so you surrender to him, and he is your God, and he is your king, and he is your Lord, and now you are to serve him forever. And so even if you say you don't believe that, what I'm here to tell you, you now have the responsibility of knowing that you've heard truth, because he says in John eight chapter, uh, John chapter 8, He's the light of the world, John chapter 14. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You now have the responsibility of evaluating what you're going to do with hearing what we claim as truth. There's a responsibility that comes with that. How are you handling the responsibility of claiming to know Jesus? Pilate calls out, oh, what evil has this guy done? But the chief priest, the scribes, they just kept accusing him. Pilate finally, in Matthew chapter 27, verse 24 and following, he saw that he was gaining nothing. Um, I, I Pilot's an unusual guy. Have you ever encountered someone, and as you get to know them, you love them, and at times you also want to just strangle them? Anybody re- resonate with that? Am I the only one? This is called being married. I'm kidding. Um, I'm kidding. Laugh, laugh. Ha ha, ha ha. Can I move in with somebody? <laughs> ha ha. Um, that's kind of how I feel with Pilate I, I think from encountering Jesus, he's that guy, he's kind of trying to do the right thing, but he doesn't really know what the right thing is because he won't, he'll only allow Jesus, metaphorically speaking, so close. And so I kind of feel like, oh man, he, ah, he's so close. And we know this has to happen because of prophecy, but at the same time I'm going, come on, Pilate, make the right decision because what you've become known for, even though you wanted to be known for your position, you've been known for giving permission to crucify the King of Kings. It's impacted centuries and centuries since. And every once in a while I'm like, oh, I feel bad for the guy. And then other times I'm like, oh, he just ticks me off. So finally what we find is we see Here's Pilate, he sees he's not going to gain anything, and so then rather, rather than a riot beginning, because you know that as the people continue to wake up, remember, 90% of these people probably would have been chanting, give us Jesus, we want him set free, we love him, look at what he's been doing, okay? And so as all these people are starting to wake up, they're coming to play a role here. He's probably seeing a lot of this take place, and he's like, man, I don't want to riot, I know what my responsibilities are. And so he literally, think about this, he took water. He pours it on his hands, says he washed his hands before the people, before the crowd, and he says to them, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourself. Wow. Takes the water, pours it on his hands, looks at the crowd and says, I am innocent of this. Now, he's not willing to really handle it. He could have handled it. What he did is he passed it off. He surrendered that responsibility. And he says, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And the response, you know that these people have been persuaded. Because listen to the words, the significance of these words. It just, it'll give you chill. Because all of a sudden, here's what they do. They said, the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children. So then he released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Why didn't Pilate step up to the plate? And I think one of the reasons why is he allowed his selfish ambition get in the way of releasing a selfless life in Jesus Christ. He knew what he wanted for self. Friends, you need to know that stepping away from responsibility, it doesn't remove us from accountability. We need to know that. Stepping away from responsibility doesn't remove us from accountability. Here's a guy who simply I think, never found his way. He even tells us in Luke 23, I don't find this man guilty of any of your charges. And he still couldn't move forward. In Luke 23, verse 16, he follows that up just three verses later by saying, I find no guilt in him. So why? He encountered the Son of God. Why was his response so wrong? I think another reason is because he didn't want to have to deal with it. I think fear plays a role, and also it was inconvenient for him. A lot of us struggle in how we're going to respond to our encounter with Jesus because you know what Jesus does? When you surrender to God, when you surrender to Christ, then all of a sudden your life is supposed to be about what his plans are for your life, And you know what that's called for many of us? It's called inconvenient. (laughs) Because you know what we're really good at, especially as Westerners? We're really good at making plans. Not just for today, but for tomorrow. Tomorrow. And next week and next year, and I've got a five-year plan to be able to put in this position, and then at this time, and then I'm going to retire at this age, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. And then all of a sudden, you recognize who Jesus truly is in your life, and you go, God, I'm going to give you everything. And then God says, oh, great, I know better than you do. I'm going to change it all up. And we go, oh, never mind. You just got carried away. I like the whole salvation piece, but about you having control of everything, I have my own agenda. I know what it is to increase my own authority, my own position, and if you're not doing that, I don't know if I'm bought in yet. And so I think he didn't like the inconvenience, what it would truly have to cause him to do if he really encountered Jesus and recognized the proper response to who he is. Convenience, guys. Convenience must must never be a substitution for courage. And instead of being a man of courage, he was a man of convenience. He was a man who didn't show the courage and the power that he could have had in the name of Jesus Christ. And some of us are letting convenience, not courage, rule the day. Why? Because for Paula, it was easier to wash his hands. It was was easier for him to wash his hands than it was to roll up his sleeves and get to work. And they just kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Again, I told you I have this weird relationship with Pilate. Um, sometimes I'm like, oh, come on. and, And then he just disappoints. One of the things that he did was he just tolerated what was happening around him. Maybe you've heard that saying before. What one generation tolerates, the next generation accepts. It's very true. What one generation tolerates, what you're willing to tolerate, you need to know that the next generation accepts. I would then argue that what one generation accepts, the next generation actually embraces. Everything is no more than two generations away. Everything. In your toleration, what are you teaching your children to accept? Another struggle that Pilate was having is I think he was striving to please men not God, and we need to strive to please God and not others, and he struggled with it. You're going, well, how so, in John chapter 19, what it tells us, it says, the Jews answered, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God, and then it tells us in John 19, verse eight, it says, when Pilate Heard this, it says he was even more afraid. He feared others. He was responding by wanting to please others and not God. Maybe the real question is how do you need to be more intentional in pleasing God? How do you need to be more intentional in pleasing God? Maybe that other question that I asked earlier, what are you doing with the responsibility of claiming that you know Jesus? Here's a guy who encountered Jesus, and he didn't know how to properly respond, and so certainly he never encountered that transformation that we know of that comes through Jesus Christ. He sat where he was rather than moving to something greater. Because he couldn't see beyond himself and his own authority, his own position, what he desired to be the case for his own life. He couldn't move beyond that. And so he settled for something far less because at least it was known rather than jumping towards something that was much greater in the name of Jesus Christ. What are you doing with the responsibility of claiming to know Jesus? And you see, here he is. It's it's remarkable to think about because here he is. And it's this amazing opportunity that he had in front of all these people to say not only he is innocent, but he is now free. But he was afraid to do it. And so what we want to be able to have to do today, we want to be able to conclude in a unique way here, today at Chapel Point. One of the things that we're excited about here at Chapel Point is the opportunity for us to not keep our worship. You guys, I'm telling you, you get your worship on sometimes. It's so encouraging. It's so amazing to watch that. And we want to be able to start taking our worship outside of these walls, and we want to take it out there. Does anybody here want to see all of West Michigan come to know Jesus Christ? Anybody? Anybody else think, man, that would just be fantastic and get you jazzed up and even make you say hallelujah maybe? Anybody else? God bless the three of you. And so what we want to do is, listen, we want to take a step today to not be the pilot, but to go, you know what, we have a responsibility of claiming that we know Jesus Christ, and we want the world to know, and so we want to have a benediction today, and we're going to do it out there in the gathering area. And we're going to ask that all of you leave this place. Take your stuff if you want to. If you don't want to, that's okay too. But take your stuff and don't take off to your car. I've already asked him to lock all the doors. (laughs) Right? And we're going to ask that you guys step out into the lower gathering area, into the upper gathering area. Just fill the space. Because here's what we want to do. We don't want to be the pilot. We want to be the person who recognizes we encounter Jesus and we respond in worship and praise because it's the responsibility that we have. And so even online, I know there are some uh, people watching know that you're going to to stay on and we're going to be able to worship together out there. Would you go ahead and join us out there in the gathering space as we conclude today?